Podcast like a motherfucker. Welcome to Amortime Podcast, episode number 58. That was good. That was really good. (laughs) I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I am co-host Sassy Al, the assassin. Um, With me tonight is our other co-host, Casimir the Swede, and as always, Henry P. Miller. Henry. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Casimir is this time joining remotely, and I'm uh, yeah. sat with this assassin Sasquatch himself. Yeah. Back in Copenhagen, trip to Sweden was was fun, and uh, back in the in the Amatime Studios. Yeah. Did you guys get a game uh, going the next oh, day? Oh, fucking hell! Yeah. Casimir, <laughs> Casimir, like put it up there, Dwarf and team? it was it was red raw, mate. Did he join you? Yeah. Oh. What were you playing? What was the lineup? It was a. Uh, I was playing my my VC list that I've been playing for like a while, more because I just didn't want to have to fuck around with what was in my box already. Which Barrow Guard unit did you take? Hand weapon shield. Okay, because you also have one with great weapons, right? Yeah. Okay. And Casimir, fucking, I don't know whether you diced me or I just played like shit, but there was like. Oh, one- I- I think it was mostly that I diced you, and that the uh, the matchup was pretty good for me. Yeah. Well, Casimir one-shotted my vampire on a monstrous revenant with a cannon. Just hit, we're oh, dead. Oh, dead. Well, that's the first time it happened to me, and I was like, never going to drop this. Never. <laughs> so uh, that, was, that was dwarves, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's in, so I think what that, uh, what that match really showed is how much higher above their weight class the Seekers punch. Like... Uh, I mean, I had two units of 25 Seekers, and I mean, that's that's a lot of points, but it felt like I could take on your entire army with those two units, basically. Yeah. Which is I, a lot more points. I think, right? I think it's that the. I think it's also because they're not scoring. And then when, yeah, you, so when can, you're. We were playing banners, right? Yeah. And so when the Seeker. When you're playing banners and you have Seekers, like they're, they're a unit that your opponent has to deal with. But they don't get any points. For but you don't get any points for dealing with them, and you usually have to invest a points to actually get rid of them. Yeah. So in this scenario, it's so the way that way that it happened, like the battle happened exactly how I wanted it to happen. Everything was in the right matchup. Everything was positioned correctly. But then the seekers just fucking rolled, went to town and rolled shit, and it was it was shit hot, and it was like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and like then, all, the, all the shooting turned on and took yeah. off all the little small pieces and yeah. stuff. And then, like, after the first turn, I was like, oh, Casimir is playing like shit. This is going to be easy. Everything is perfect. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we talked about that. was pretty funny. So and then Casimir started we, rolling dice. <laughs> so, so like last time we, we played, there was a point where you were like, oh, you should have taken your secret character out the units. You could threaten the monsters, blah, blah, blah. And then I we started talking. And I was like, what kind of shooting do you have? And you're like, oh, I don't really have anything except Banshees. And I was like, okay, well, that's fine. I'll just put this guy outside the unit this time. And then on the first turn, Henry put two banshees in front of the Seeker character and screamed them off. And I was like, oh, what? And then he panicked the unit of uh, dudes with guns as well. So yeah. it looked like it was going to go like real south real fast. Yeah. But then uh, the dwarves rallied. So. Yeah, I was after, after killing the, the, the Seeker character and 
panicking the whatever the fuck they call it these days marksman. Um, like I was like, oh, okay, this is going to go very well. Every, the seekers are like lined up against the ghouls, and my like vampire and the revenant is ready to countercharge the stupid giant things or in the flank, and it, everything was going to be fine. And it just every it just went really bad. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Saying. Pretty much the same thing happened the day after because I had a game with Patrick, and uh, he was playing Soaring Ancients, and I'd, I'd done everything right. I had I had got the temple guard down to ten. Ten guys with a cottle, and I tra- I had the barrigard in the front, and uh, Lucy was in the back, and I was like, oh, all I need to do is kill ten temple guard with a varkalak, a vampire, and a barrigard unit, and I killed like two temple guard, <laughs> and they were stubborn, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> and then everything came in, and I should have ran the cottle down, but it didn't happen. It was very sad. It was very, very sad. So yeah, like, I'm on a losing streak right now. I've lost three in a row. On the just just about that ghouls and seekers matchup. The ghouls are good because their poison beats the Yeah, the basically the ghouls will outgrind the seekers. Because Yeah, like the ghouls are really good at stuff with no armor and the yeah. seekers are completely naked, so they just take a lot of hits and die fast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, uh, but isn't it, so the ghouls, the big thing with them is they've got their poison, right? Yeah, they have poison, and in the second round of combat, they re-roll to hit, assuming you've done some wounds in the first round, which you usually do. So so basically, because the Seekers are unarmored, it makes the ghouls like the perfect thing to counter them. And because ghouls are resistance four, they only get wounded on three plus from the death blow. So it's quite, it's quite like the, it's almost the perfect unit to take on the seekers, especially when you have occultism and you can get a five page so. But does the poison yeah. bypass the seekers' ages save? No, there's only six up, so it doesn't uh, doesn't change that much unless you're casting and you're just rolling all the sixes. <laughs> oh, okay, nice. Yeah, so it's your it may, as be, may as well be a two plus. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really, I really love the six up save. It's the my, it's my favorite because nobody expects it to do anything. There was definitely one turn where I did like I rolled like shit and I was like, oh, it's only like four wounds or something, and you just rolled all the sixes. Like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think I, I, think I got a Yahtzee on sixes one turn, which was fun. Yeah. But actually, thinking about the game, uh, I think you actually pushed your like barrel guard up real like pretty close in turn. Uh, I guess turn two or turn one, turn one probably. Yeah. And and I mean, I get I feel felt like that's where it kind of turned. Well. I mean, because I diced that combat, but I kind of got everything into the uh, barrel before the ghoul people engaged. Yeah, I think the vampire, he didn't do any wounds over two rounds of combat and then just died. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, maybe I should target the vampire and I kill him in a turn. Yeah. <laughs> six attacks, hitting on fours, wounding on threes with a six up, four up, and just did three wounds. Like, yeah. Splat. Yeah. Should it averages like 0.5 or something? Yeah, I think actually I have wounded on a free because they have strength six with grape weapons. Oh yeah, on the first turn. But I don't think you targeted him on the first turn. No, exactly. On the first turn, I just went for the barrel guard with yeah. grape weapons. Yeah. Weapon master is so good. So good. Yeah. And the, the paired weapons also. I kind of actually forgot that the paired weapons negate the parry. Parry. Yeah. That was maybe yeah, a mistake. Like that. 
that made uh, that made that combat a pretty good matchup for me. I think. Yeah, I think in hindsight, probably right, but I still roll like shit, <laughs> and you yeah, still roll really well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I think on the first turn I charged, I I don't know how many dice I picked up, but I had like you know twenty or whatever dice, and I think I like. After I rolled hits and wounds, I had like 18 wounds or something stupid. I was like, okay, yeah. well, sure. It's, it's also that awkward moment when the dwarf player halfway through the game is like, oh yeah, I didn't declare my grudge. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. Oh, halfway through the game, in turn, in turn two. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but then, I, I but then you should be getting cast. I was thinking of that. I, was, I need to make like a little coin or something that has a G on it that I can put down on uh, next to people's units or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, for me, it doesn't matter. Like, it's, it was an obvious choice anyway. But some, there's every now yeah. and again, you play one of those games. You're like, I'm not going to be a dick. I'm just going to let them choose whatever. But it's like very like, uh, okay. It's like it's yeah, very yeah, convenient for you to decide now that we've dropped yeah. our fucking yeah. armies. And... Yeah, like I mean, for other lists, I, I definitely agree. If you play like an MSU list, then it's it's much like. I mean, you're supposed to pick before you even start. Placing, I, don't, I don't. I don't know when you. When do you actually pick it? That is a good question. I don't know either, but I, f I think it's after you deploy, but I'm not entirely sure. Well, Casimir, you should find out. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, your, it's your army. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So th these are some very special beer mugs, Alex. Are they? These are, these are beer mugs that are made by monks in a brewery in Strasbourg that I, I stole from them. <laughs> stole from the monks. Like yeah. We shouldn't even be drinking out of these, then. Gonna, we'll be cursed. You religious? Yeah. You vampire? It's all good. No, but I don't want to become one either. Or maybe I do. Uh, maybe we should drink out of these more. A sexy vampire. <laughs> A sassy vampire. <laughs> even better. Yeah. Next level. Sasspire. Sasspire. So you, you declare the grudge when, uh, after you've, you've deployed, like right before you start playing. Okay. Oh, nice. So you get you get to see the deployment. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, but it's also easy to forget then because you're sitting there Yeah. Fucking doing all that shit and then you're like, Oh, before we begin. Hang on, hang yeah, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Go, you know, don't wanna like mess around anymore. Yeah. See how fast I was there? Yeah, rocket. See how fast I was? Yep. That's like when you're a clumsy person and and you do shit like that all the time and you just get so used to like catching shit without when it feel when it falls over, like Honestly, like so, what you, so what you're saying is you're really clumsy. Yeah, I'm fucking so clumsy, knock shit over all the time, and then I'm just get, I'm so used to seeing things like falling off shelves when I'm knocking them over that I can catch them. Like I do, I don't know how I do it like that. Was just I didn't even think about it. I just caught it with as soon as it fell. Like I did, yeah. it didn't even hit the cushion. That was good. It was also empty though. Yeah, it was empty, but it had like a little bit of a thing in it, a little trickle in there. Okay, so um, let's talk about the general theme for this podcast yes right i guess uh if you're joining us in synchronous order you've probably just heard episode 57 yeah, yeah actually no this isn't going to go out in the same time so technically this is actually going to go out before episode 57 although it is episode 58 okay because we recorded episode 57 last weekend yeah which will be the full dread Elves book review right and then this will be episode 58 that's going to go out before the Dreadhouse book review, the full book review is out as part of the release schedule uh. for the Dreadhouse. Right. So we should have actually, we should make this actually episode 56.5. It's like 57, not 57, but 58. <laughs> That's the best title. Okay. So <laughs> um, if you're listening to this in 
chronological release order. Yeah, it would be 57. 57. But if you're somebody who likes to like save up a number of podcasts and then listen, binge listen to them while you're doing your hobby work, then you've just listened to <laughs> a six-hour masterpiece, <laughs> right? Which I participated in four hours of, I think, and then I had to go. Cast uh, me, what time did we get to bed? It was like five or something. Uh, yeah, like Irene said, we, we got to bed at five. <laughs> yeah, it was a challenge. Uh, like, I, tell you, I tell you what, like I blacked out so hard. Like Listening back to it was like listening to not my own podcast. I, I could not remember discussing anything. I was like, did we did, did we like discuss that unit? And then, we, then it happened. I was like, yeah, we actually went through the whole book. And we actually had like a, a section at the end where we talked about other stuff. I was like, did not remember anything. <laughs> well, nailed it. Yeah, yeah. It was actually, it was, I thought it was okay. Like, so so you, yeah, you're, like, you're hearing it from the horse's mouth. Uh, Henry, six, six hour, I had listened to six hours of it while editing. And it was, it was. I mean, I, I, I sat through six hours of it. So it wasn't that bad. Yeah. I mean, so I mean, if Henry, who already lived it for six hours, then listened to it again for six hours, well, I, I didn't it. remember it. So true, <laughs> but you did, but you weren't exhausted by it either. No, so no. that's a pretty good sign. I got, I got through it. So uh, again, if you're listening to this in chronological release order, you've got six hours of awesome podcast to look forward to. And if you're listening to this in chronological episodic or in episode the episodic order. Then we hope you enjoyed those six and a half hours, and uh, we're gonna just bring that up to the next level um, by talking about the Dread Elves and their background story. Yeah. So the the Dread Elf book will be released on the tenth of December, and uh, this is gonna be the first of many uh, sneak peeks into the Dread Elf book. So as Alex alluded to, we're gonna be talking mostly about the background today. So we were supposed to get the background supplement, which was also supposed to be released on the 10th of December, along with the book. But unfortunately, the background team haven't finished, so we can't look at the background supplement. Um, we're just going to have to talk about some random background topics. Right, uh, and which is convenient because Henry, you worked on the background, so you, um, so you have a you have a concept of the topics. I didn't work on the background. Oh, you didn't. Okay. I was. I am part of the background team, so I have access to the background. And being on the lab team myself, I have a good idea of how the Dreadell's background actually is. Gotcha. Well, uh, so I, I can answer your questions and be very accurate, but not like one hundred percent. Accurate. So I, I can answer most of this stuff and have a good knowledge, but I'm sure that someone who actually wrote the background would have a better knowledge than me and maybe would correct me in a future podcast. But I think that's a good thing because, you know, uh, to leave room for me and Casimir to really bitch about it. Yeah. Uh, I, I can just say, well, I didn't write it or, well, I don't know. Yeah. Or, we'd be like, or, or we can be like, well, you don't really know though, do you? <laughs> so I, can, us, I can say, I think. It gives, some, it gives us some leverage, argumentative leverage. Which I have a good idea. Let's which say. is fun. Yeah. Okay, so oh, let's let's move on to the topic that everyone has come here to. Oh, the big kickoff. Wait, before we start that, where is the sour candies at? Uh, in the kitchen on the bench. Okay. So, Casimir, I hope that you've um, come prepared with a lot of background questions because I have not prepared, and I would imagine Alex is probably the same. Yeah. So. I I have a few. I, I think it, to start us off, I was thinking that maybe you could tell us like where do the dreadles live and uh, what is that like? 
in the context of the Bible. Okay, that's that's a really good question to start the ball rolling. So, the the ninth age world is is based on our world, let's say the Earth. Yeah, like geographically. Geographically, yeah. So. There's there's the different continents in the same way. Just grab a ball, dude. There's the the continents in like in the same way as there are in in, in the, on the Earth. That you have like a, an African continent which is called Tafria. You have uh, oh god, I'm gonna have to remember them all now. You have <laughs> uh, I think a South American continent that's called Varentia, <laughs> which means that the American Northern American continent is called Selexia, and there's one that's called Orgia, but I, I think that's Asia, and I forget what the European continent is called, but essentially there's different continents like that, and it's roughly laid out in, in essentially the same way as our Earth is laid out. So, um, a, a quick background of the Dread Elves, or the Elves in general. The, when... At the downfall of the Saurians, the elves moved to what is basically Europe. And they inhabited the forests of, of Europe. I, I'm going to check the name because I'm not sure. <laughs> and um, basically what happened is um, they, they kind of they expanded their domains and they were somewhat of a dominant power in this, let's call it pseudo-Europe until I find the actual name. And um, I guess in this respect, you could, if you wanted to be really like, really very like definitive, you could say that this is where the Sylvan Elves kind of came from. Okay. And, and then after this, it was, it was more like, okay, from, from here, when things kind of progress in history, um, so the continent is called Vetia, which is the European oh. continent. But all the others, I was completely, I was 100 right on. So, yeah. so the, the Vetian elves, um, they they kind of expanded their domains and they explored the globe, and they found the Isles of uh, Aldan, which is essentially maybe where, if you wanted to kind of put a modern day label on it, you might say it's Great Britain. So yeah, yeah, I think looking at the, the world map, it seems to be kind of a little more distance from, uh, from Vetia than Great Britain is from Europe. It seems to be more like more in between the two continents, at least according to this map. Yeah, that's correct. So it's kind of somewhere in the middle of the two continents. Um, for those watching on YouTube, I'm just going to chuck it up now so you can actually have a look. I'm going to try. There we go. So and is, uh, is where the highborn elves live nowadays, right? Yeah. So, so this colony became the highborn elves, and then from from here, as as with the the real world British Empire, the the highborn elves expanded as a global power. Um, they they colonized they colonized many parts of the world, a lot of the islands, a lot of the the Middle Sea, and. And um, also a lot of Selexia. So the, the elves that moved to Selexia in the same way as the Americans did when they, they kind of um, started to colonize and expand their domains in America, 
the the selection elves also have the same kind of um, dichotomy of power. So what happened was there was a split between the selection elves and the Aldan elves, which created this schism in between the Elven Empire. So, so can I ask, what, what was the Tea Party incident in this case? I don't know enough of the history to, to comment. Ah, damn it. Sorry. Only an overview today. <laughs> and obviously they, they established their cities in Selexia. And there was some kind of war between the two. Um, both were naval powers. And both now kind of compete for the trade routes and, and the, um, the colonies and things like that. So... Going back to your question is where do the dread elves live and and what do they what was the, what was the, the second part kind of like what what's the climate like like what is it uh, what kind of environment do they live in yeah so um, the the kind of the climate and the environment where they obviously where they live is Selexia. at least that's where the the we, we can call it a maritime empire I think okay. that's a bit of a loose term because they don't necessarily have an empire I think they have and a few colonies dotted around, but they're more slavers rather than colonizers. So whereas they, they, they live along the coast, then like it's not it's not like uh, like modern day America where it's like kind of a lot of inland stuff as well. I'd say it's more like colonial America where most of the settlements okay. are along the waterways and the coast, yeah. and and obviously the interior is probably inhabited more by like beasts or something more sinister. Yeah, like wilderness, basically. Yeah, so so you might equate it to something like an early colonial America, America, where the at least that's, that's the similar environment. Um, as soon as you go north, uh, when you get to Rathen, which is uh, the northernmost Dreadelf settlement, um, it gets a lot colder, so it's something more like Canada. I, I don't know. Specifically, but I, I resemble this comment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be very careful because I'm sat with a Canadian. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's it's a lot colder. Um, there's there's maybe maybe not snow all year round, but it's it's no, not. It's definitely not snow all year round. No. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> but you but you get. Yeah, you but it's Vancouver, a, mate? Sorry, have you been to Vancouver, mate? No. Yeah, but we're on the east side of Canada. I mean, Selexia. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so um, it's still a very cold, harsh climate in Rathen. Okay, but in the in in Kandrakin, which is the more southern settlement, it's it's a little bit warmer, more temperate, a bit more suited to plantations yeah. and slave and things like that. So, so I've, I mean, you've mentioned the the world slave uh, a lot of times so far, and I guess something I wanted to ask, since I know you guys go into a lot of detail, is kind of what is the, I, I mean, kind of socioeconomic uh, setup of the dread of society. You know, like, uh, like uh, if today you could have like equate societies through, you know, through history as medieval or or capitalist or stuff like that. Like, how how do the dread of society function on that kind of level? I think it's. Maybe something like the, the like the South American, or the southern the southern United States kind of, um, where there's a lot of slaves on plantations and things like that. So, I think um, the Dreadolves they they have two main commodities. One is slaves and one is silver. 
and everything is everything is valued in like a, a slave or silver price. So you can, oh. you can trade for slaves or you can trade for silver, and um, and the the economy is is very heavily based on captured slaves from all over the world. So the Dreadelf ships and fleets and raiders and which are predominantly led by corsairs um, travel the world collecting slaves either selling slaves to people or bringing slaves home to Selexia to, to kind of fuel the economy, fuel the production. But the, the elves themselves, it's a bit like something like Sparta, maybe, where the helots, oh, yeah. where the helots are kind of doing all the work and, and, the, and the citizens themselves are, are more the warrior elite class. Um, that's not yeah. to say that there's no elves that work the fields, it's just that it's less common. Okay. So it's, it, the the economy and the society itself is like built on an underclass of slaves, and I would say slave revolts are probably fairly common, um, mm-hmm. but they are also very ruthlessly put down. Yeah, usually those two go hand in hand, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, but, so the, uh, you said that they that, like the elves are usually warriors. So, like, what? What? Uh, I mean, assuming you're not like a, in the absolute lower lowest class and do manual labor, like, what do the elves do in society? Okay, so the all the elves are militarily trained. Every single one. If you're okay, so draft basically. Yeah. So if you're if you're a commoner, then you'll go to the military academy. And there's, there's many military academies all over Selexia. Um, each town or each city or each district will have a military academy. And every elf has, by law, to become a citizen, you have to graduate the military academy. Whether you graduate as an auxiliary or a legionary, that's two different things. Um, but you, so you, you need to... based on your aptitude for Yeah, based on your aptitude for killing. Um, you will become a legionary or an auxiliary. <laughs> Alex is like, oh. <laughs> as, as, I think I think we'll leave that discussion for the for the full book review. Uh, yeah. yeah. So you, regardless of, of uh, I might hint at it again later, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> so you, you graduate the academy as to become uh, like a fully fledged citizen. If if you're if you're in the, the upper tiers of society, if you have a lot of money. Rather than going to the academy, you will probably be um, privately trained. So not all of the citizens go to the academy, but to to become like a citizen, if you're not a noble, then you have to graduate the academy. And and so I think um, when when you finish the academy, obviously you're a very well trained soldier, and um, you can kind of choose a profession when you come out. Of the academy, okay. so most most excuse me, most Dreadelf families have slaves who kind of do all the the hard work and put bread on the table, which leaves them a lot of time for for other professions. Um, you could choose to go into the temple, where you, in, I mean, in the military sense, you might become a temple militant, or even if you're just someone who supports a, a certain god or is aligned to a certain god, you might be a militant of their their order. You could become a corsair, or and and that like a privateer go off raiding and slaving. Uh, we're looking for a bottle opener. Where did it go? 
<laughs> so you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned the temple, and I think what, something that's when we're still on like the overview part of this, uh, something that's important to talk about is what what is the pantheon like? What is the religious structure of society? So the the el the elves are um, a polytheistic re religion. They have um, many gods. I think they have, from memory, I think three major deities which represent a lot of um, the major themes in their society and then under each of those gods they kind of split into many other aspects and I don't want to go into too much detail because one I, I don't know it all by heart and two I'd probably be doing it injustice if I did but the, they're very polytheistic and, and they have lots of different aspects and lots, lots of different gods that kind of overlap and intertwine and have relationships between one another yeah, I guess I guess what maybe what you can answer is uh, is, is society religious as a whole, or is it kind of uh, like where the gods don't matter that much for most people? Mm, I'm not sure. I think if I was going to make a guess, I would say they're probably fairly religious. Yeah, because of all the, the temple militants and these. Yeah, kind of, uh, especially probably more so than the highborn elves, at least. Yeah, who are more probably more kind of pragmatic society. But I think elves in general are fairly all fairly religious. Um, I don't think it. I don't think their religion goes as as kind of fervent as maybe someone from Sonstyle or Equitain or um, like the warriors, let's say. But the, yeah. the gods are still very close to to what they believe and and how they 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 enact on a daily life. Well, like you said, they have like professions in the temples right so like not necessarily professions but they may be a some some will do some will be priests some will some will be like members of the temple but not necessarily work for the temple but they maybe will be called upon in in a time of war when the temple want to join a faction think of it a bit like a trade union where you, you join a union or a church, and and when if the church needs you, they'll call upon you when they want to go to battle or they want to use their might or their power to kind of display or something like that. Yeah, but usually, like the reason a church can like call upon you is because you're religious enough to fight for that cause. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I think, like, on what Casimir was asking, it kind of sounds like they're religious enough. Yeah, yeah, you know, some, it's, it's, some, as I said, they're fairly religious, but not as fervent as maybe like uh, someone from the Empire of Sonstal who's like a dedicate, a big, like a giant who's a big fan of Sunna, or, <laughs> <laughs> or a, a kingdom of Equitain knight who's dedicated to the lady. So, right. so what you're saying is that when you see temple militants on the table, they're not like, like necessarily religious fanatics. No, but but they are fighting for their cause. Okay. So, I, something I know you wanted to ask about Alex is uh, like how we know that there's like a lot of beasts, right? In the uh, in the dread of like the dread of books. So, how does all of that like kind of come into their society? Yeah, like there's these there's like these creatures, right? That um, that they that they bring in with their armies, and I I just kind of thought to myself like, okay, like. Like, how do these even belong here? Do you know what I mean? Like, you've got the Gorgons, right? Um, 
which is like, I guess we don't like, I guess the first question is like, you know, what, what is a Gorgon, you know, socially, because it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a human or it's a creature or a, a humanoid on top and a snake on the bottom. Do you know what I mean? And it's a pretty bad, it's pretty badass at fighting. But like, is it a, are these things part of society? Or are they, are they allies of the elves? Or are they mem like, are they allies? Are they members of the society? Are they slaves? Are they, what, like, what, why is a Gorgon in this army? So the Gorgons themselves are creatures that are kind of created by the god Yemma. So Yemma is one of the Dread Elf gods. Um, you, if you're, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of the Dread Elf gods. I, I don't know so much about it to be able to talk at it, about it in depth. Um, but it's one of the deities that they worship. And to become a Gorgon, an elf will undergo some kind of ritual. I don't know the, necessarily the details of the ritual. Mm -hmm. But what will happen is that a portion of the god's power will come through the veil into the elf. And it will the elf will undergo a transformation. And the elf will basically turn into this Gorgon creature. So it's kind of like half elf, half demon. Something similar like we talked about with the demon's book before, where um, a supernal can come through the veil and take the form of a... Of a or like possess a, oh. a creature. So it's, it's essentially like a, a demon of Yemma that's come through the veil, possessed an elf, and kind of transform the body of the elf as a vessel, and obviously a portion of that god's power is now part of the of the elf, and so while while the elf retains some kind of autonomy, there's still like a supernal living as a symbiote or part of that um, organism. Yeah, so this is an elf that wants to turn into a mutant weirdo. Yeah, it's like a, <laughs> a religious experience, and then and then be like, and then like. So, like, as far as getting on the battlefield, that's one thing. But, like, as far as, like, okay, is this, like, is this, like, what happens when, like, dark elves or uh, dread elves, like, bully other dread elves so much in the academy? <laughs> instead of, like, instead of, like, instead of, like, you know, going all crazy and, you know, turning into, turning into, like, a, like, a weird, um... I don't know what words they use for uh, like antisocial uh, nutters these days. But anyway, but instead of like becoming something like that, they're like, I'm going to throw myself into this because then, because then like no one's going to laugh at me anymore when I got a snake butt, you know, like, <laughs> like I'm just thinking about like, like on the field of battle, like in the, t in the context of the game. Okay, cool. I got like, I got like a couple of snake elf bros that are rolling around, but in context of like society, after this, after this dude or or dudette gets their themselves religiously embodied by a by a demonic creature that gives them a snake butt, do they like <laughs> slither out of the temple like and go back home? Be like, hey, ma. You know, I just turned into no, a snake butt version uh, of myself. I think the, the elves are chosen for this, let's call it a task or religion, religious rite. 
are probably the like the high priests of this order or this temple. So they're very, very well associated with the temple. They probably don't have lives outside the temple. Everything that they have is probably part of the temple. So it's not like they slither off home and like feed <laughs> like kids or, or something like that. I think I think they're I think they're very very acquainted to the temple and and these would only be chosen for this reason. And then they just like kind of spend their life in the temple being a snake priest. Yeah. Being like respect yeah. my so they, snake priest authority. Yeah. Yeah, like they'd last for a while then. Right? So like they'd like the symbiotes and the demon uh yeah, book yeah, right. essentially immortal, right? As, ah, okay. as long as they have magic to sustain them then they're immortal. As long as they got a snake butt, they're good to go. Yeah. <laughs> cool, cool. Okay. I mean, that's fine. I, we don't, and again, we don't have to get into like the details of like what they do in the in in the game on the on the table. It's just more like I was just more like. So we're talking about these <laughs> dudes. They're all slavers. You know, uh, they're like sailing. They do whatever. Like, when's this? Like, wh- how does this snake belong here? You know, snake man. <laughs> He's just like, what's up? I'm Snake Man. Like, I'm totally friends with these guys. Like, we're all buddies. You know, slithering on up again. They like came by my island, and I was like, hey, you want like a snake bro to like hang out with? And they were like, dude, high five, high tail. You know, high like, tail. You're like, Let's start. Give, me, give me one. Yeah. Like, yeah nice. Uh, so like that's one thing, right? Then you've got, then you've got. Uh, I think another one that's like an interesting creature is the kraken. Yeah. Right. Release the Kraken. Right. Which um, there is one thing I do want to say that is actually game related on this, just because I think that you need to tell me, you need to tell me a bit more about how this makes, how this. Okay, this let, let me let me explain to you the background of the Kraken. Yeah. All right. And then you can not say the rule that's in the book. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe this will help you understand. So the Kraken is is a monster that uh, at least okay the way I envision the Kraken is something like the Watcher in the water in Lord of the Rings. So that monster that sits next to in the pond next to Moria that kind of like comes out of the out of the water with all the tentacles. Yeah. So this is how I sort of view the Kraken. Like it can it can like walk onto land, like slither around and stuff, but it's like at home in the water. So. So this is a monster that's like a coastal predator. So it like fish, it like swims around in the coast and like waits for things to come and hang out near the coast. And then it like ambushes them and like sucks them into the water and eats them. So while, so it's kind of prey is like big things. So anything that's large, it's, that's what it wants to eat. So it's like this kind of like squid monster that kind of sits in the water, hides underneath the, underneath the, the surface underneath the surface exactly and then as soon as it sees something coming by it just like jumps on it and like sucks it in okay so without saying anything about the rules yeah right the one thing that i think is kind of funny is that like not all maps in this game have water yeah and the maps that do have water have like one piece of water some of two on the map okay i've never played it okay so so like coast there's no like coast you can like you can like have this creature floating around in right. You gotta like you gotta like get him into this little block of water on this massive table. It's so I think, I think I think when you uh, when you look at the Kraken rules, which we're not gonna talk about, there is a rule that 
um, where some of the terrain on the table can affect how the how useful the Kraken is. So you should not see this as like this is how we think you should use the Kraken. You should think of it more as this is an added bonus if you can make it work in this way, and the and the cost cost reflects that. Yeah. Okay. So so I think one thing that's uh, you can maybe touch upon in regards to the Kraken, but also maybe the Hydra and so on, is, is like how do they control these monsters? Like if this thing lives in the water all the time, like why does it help the Dreadel? Um, the Dreadel Society in is somewhat based on as we alluded to before, like Sparta. We also said it's a republic, so it's it's something similar to like a mixture of Sparta and Rome in, in its culture. So the the dread elves, um, well, when they're not like killing stuff or learning how to kill stuff, they're they're enjoying other people killing stuff for their own pleasure. Something similar to like the Colosseum. So there's these the beast the beast taming side of the dread elves is quite a big aspect, and the beast tamers put these monsters into the the Colosseums, into their amphitheaters, and like make them fight each other for money, for power, for glory to bet on for entertainment. So this is quite a big part of their culture. And the Kraken is just one of these uh, monsters that's captured, tamed, broken, and put into the arena. A bit like a big Pokemon battle. <laughs> <laughs> Alex is looking at me like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's basically it's a tentacle, that's what you're saying. Yeah, it's like a big giant tentacle that goes around doing rats yes. on people. And then oh man, that's really thing. a good model. <laughs> like just, just making a tentacle model and putting it on the table. Maybe that's more of a Mr. Viathan thing. See, I, oh, yeah. I look at it like this. Could I get all the Pokemon in there? One of the things that you've talked about, I mean, one of the units groups is called, they're called Corsairs. We know that they, they sail the seas, taking, you know, raiding, they're raiders, coastal raiders, they're slavers, right? All that kind of stuff. And, um, and so like in that sense, having some like water themed creatures sort of makes sense because, you know, like they're out there on the high seas and like, what's better to have on the high seas next to your ships when you're, if you're going to have like a sea battle or something, than a fucking Kraken, right? Like, Hey, Kraken, go like eat that ship over there. Okay, boss. I'll be back in five. You know, like that's like awesome, right? I mean, I I, I saw Pirates of the Caribbean when they had the Kraken in it. It is the Kraken. Yeah, it was sweet. Kraken was sweet. Yeah. Um. So like, I can't complain about that. I think what's kind of funny about it is that um the Kraken to me feels like the only real like actual like water thing that comes with the with the dread elves mm-hmm. right everything else like uh has like like you, you can call these guys corsairs you can or you could call them i mean is there anything else that has a sh- like a shippy saily kind of sounding not really name no. right so they don't even so so despite this being like a make a big part of their background story um there's only this one little sort of nod to it with this Kraken, right? Everything else is is not water-based or watery or sea ship related, and I guess that's fine because all the game, all the battles happen on land, so it's not like suddenly yeah. there's going to be like opportunities for them to like have their ships on oh, the, both 
boat battles and shit. You I, know, like, I think this is um, it's a mixture of things. It's a mixture of like legacy things that have to kind of be included in the book. I think it would. I think people would be very sad if we discontinued the Kraken and like merged it into a Hydra, for example. Um, I think I think that would have been a mistake for us to go down that route. Whether it would have been good or not, I, I, I don't know. But we had to kind of include a Kraken into the book, and it was never it was never a consideration that we wouldn't have a Kraken in the book. Um, mm. I think the I think the background is is obviously to an extent we had to kind of build it to facilitate the legacy models and the legacy that we have. And and as you as you say, it's a bit strange to have like one water based monster, but it's it's a faction that has a very kind of nautical um, culture, even though there's only one unit that represents that in the book. Um, I still think it's like a viable thing to to have in the book and something that needs to be represented. I mean, I get more than anything that it's something that like that like you know people would have been bummed out if it wasn't there. I guess what I'm saying is when you know when you say yes, it's a there like they, there's this nautical sort of element to them, and then the only the only yeah. things that really have anything to do with being on ships or being at sea or the navy or or whatever like you know i mean you could have a unit of marines right like that could be basically yeah. like that would that marines are infantry unit but that's that are, courses, that, right that are, that are sea based maybe yeah i mean but maybe maybe you could like have a you know maybe there could be like an ambushing mechanic something like that 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 would represent these people like uh you know outflanking armies by uh, traveling to different places with their ships or something i don't know I think I think the course of special rules actually do that quite well. Okay, but yeah, let's not get into rules. Yeah, I don't even. I don't. The beauty is I don't even remember what those are, so uh, <laughs> so I can't get it. So, okay, nice one. Casper's like, I think, let's I think, not get into those rules. I, if, if, if I someone, don't remember that. If someone's listening to exactly what Casper said, I think when you read the rules, it will basically say exactly what Casper said. Okay, great. So basically, <laughs> basically you're, you, everything you did was great. Is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was with cheeses. With the cheese is even better. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so welcome back to Amazon Podcast, episode 57 slash 8. It was definitely 58. We talked about it for the first yeah, 10 or, minutes or of the 50, podcast. <laughs> All right, episode 58. We're, we're talking Dreadelf's background. So I think Casimir or Alex had a question about some Thunder Packs. Yeah. What, what is the Thunder Pack? What's happening? Okay, so why, why do they belong here? What <laughs> business do they have hanging out with Dread Elves? Okay, so as with as we alluded to, um, Selexia is something like the 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 North American frontier in the colon, colonial period. So in this period in our world history, the the continent was inhabited by the Native Americans who were largely subsistent on the buffalo herds. So you could equate these um, animals, the the actual beasts themselves, as a ninth age equivalent of buffalo. Fighting buffalo. Not necessarily fighting buffalo, but just like angry, large animals. And I think the... So the inspiration behind this came from a, a prehistoric animal called a toxodon, which is essentially like um, 
a gigantic woolly rhino. Woolly, well, non maybe not woolly, more like a, a rhino without a nose horn, with a, like a longer tail. So if, if yeah, you want to, if you want to look it up on Google, just search for Toxodon. Yeah, it looks just like kind of like a splice between a bear and a rhino ish. Yeah, exactly. Rhino bears. So <laughs> in the in the ninth cool. age background, the this is supposed to represent um, something that is native to Selexia. So a reasonably common animal to find, and something that. Um, the Dread Elf beast, beast Masters or Beast Tamers or Lash Masters, whatever you want to call them, they they obviously look like on the lookout for for beasts to to break to their will. And as these are native to Selexia, they're, they're kind of top on the hunting list for the, the beast the beast tamers. So they, they take these beasts and obviously they wanna as the Dread Elf Society is very geared around killing people around war around dominating other species um the the beast tamers use them in a aggressive way for battle or for the arena so so basically the basic idea is that uh, a group of tamers can kind of maneuver these beasts in a very agile way um tell them where they want to go with their whips like move them around they can be an asset on the battlefield And are they are they used in any like are they used in a domestic uh, sense as well or? Um, not sure about like agricultural or anything like that, but they're certainly used in the arena. Wow, yeah. So I, I think one thing we haven't really touched about so far is how uh, like how magic comes into this. Wait, 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 wait! You're just gonna let it go right there, Casimir? God, okay. Easier, You're just gonna fucking stop talking about fucking rhino bears. Yeah. That quick, just like, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, they use them in the arena. Customer was satisfied with that. No big yeah. deal. Well, I'm not satisfied. <laughs> All right, let's hear the sass. Let's hear it. So these people, these elves, go out. <laughs> Said in a derogatory manner. Spend all of their time. This wine, right. this is it's right. delicious. It's a delicious wine. But no, quit, quit trying to distract me from my so, sassy point so, here. Spend so. all this time, like training themselves to be beast taming, beast tamers. Then they go out and they find the biggest, weirdest fucking rhino bears they can <laughs> to be like, "Hey, rhino bears, come hang out with us." And the rhino bears are like, "Suck my rhino bear balls," right? And then the beast tamers who are like. Light as an elf, somehow are like hi diddly dee diddly do, and then the fucking <laughs> rhino bears are like, all right, I'll come party with you now, bro. Like, whoa, whoa, what, 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 what? Okay, think think of it like a like a bison, right? So if if you're like the beast tamer and you have like a whip and you're like dominant person, you can like like herd them all up, round them all up, like a like Tiger King. Wait, so they drug the they drug the, the rhino bears? They must they must drug the rhino bears. They're giant rhino bears. And they're skinny little elf people. I mean, I don't care if the elf's got a whip, he's still a skinny ass elf. Yeah, but an elf is like agile, can like dodge them and stuff. Yeah. And they're probably a like- hey, Casimir. They're also really, really good at killing, right? 
Hey, they have really, really good at killing. <laughs> yeah, they are. It's true. They yeah, but they're not trying to kill this guy. They're trying to tame him. Yeah. But they know. Yeah, like how did they know? Like how did like yeah, but how do they tame them? Like, uh, how do you uh, like? Do you just torture these animals, or or like, what do you do to tame them? Um, yeah, is this like a is this like is this like a Ringling Brothers circus style uh, I mean, deal here? I mean, I know how to train horses, but I, I don't think it's quite the same. Because I hope you don't torture any horses. Well, no. Anymore. Otherwise, we'd all be walking around or riding around on rhino bears right now. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I think I think they have to kind of put them through a bit brutal, brutal kind of. Some some what some might say torture, yeah. I mean, they're, they're beast breakers. They break the beasts by whipping them into shape. It's probably quite a painful experience for the beasts. Just imagine if they had one rhino bear whisperer on that in that team, right? <laughs> Instead of using aggression and violence, they just talked to the rhino bear. So that, that's more of like a silver elf um, deal. Basically, whispered to the rhino yeah. bear. I think the character of the dread elves is more like you do what we say. Aware of the Sylvan Elf is more like, let's have a chat and make a discussion, and then we can maybe come to an agreement. What you're saying is the Dreadles are, you know, somehow imperialist, and they kind of live in North America. I think you can just say it honestly, Casimir. They're dickish. Yeah, right? yeah, that's that's what we're getting at here. I mean, they're, they're arrogant, they're brash, the the <laughs> very no real world culture at all. Those are all synonyms to dickish. <laughs> if, if that's the word you want, that you want to use then go, for it. go with it. it I think it's a lovely word um, <laughs> yeah so I mean so they're kind of dicks and uh, and they want to and they're you know they're just a bunch of assholes who walk around you know trying to subjugate uh, and then they like they're like you know what would be the coolest thing to subjugate is a rhino bear yeah okay I, I think mean, I think something that you need to understand about all elves is that the they don't. They view elves as a superior race to humans, to dwarves, to oh. everything else. Oh, this is also not at all relevant to real world politics. I see. Interesting. But they, but it's it's like an alien culture. So supremacists. I wouldn't say ah. I wouldn't say necessarily supremacists, but they they're very pragmatic in the way that they see themselves in comparison to the rest of the world. They definitely see themselves as superior. They, they yeah, see they, humans as like a, just another animal species to be dominated or tamed or trained. Um, I think you could pretty much say supremacist there fits the bill. Yeah, but perhaps, <laughs> perhaps, yeah. But, it, but I, think, I think that has a different connotation to this because it's, it's another species rather than one race over another race. Yeah, 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 but I mean, they're a metaphor. Yeah, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to be metaphorical, then for sure. But I mean, I mean, for sure. But I'm sure I not only do I want to, <laughs> but but I mean, you have said that you know the you know the inspiration for a lot a number of these of these races and cultures are based around different cultures of of the world anyway mm -hmm. right so like to not draw that parallel i think is is to shy away from you know a political a suggestively political statement which maybe which maybe is the point of shying away from it but 
but I, but it's already been made, right? So yeah. I might as well own it. Yeah. Okay. Is the way that I is the way that I look at it. Okay. Like, look. So so let's let's call them supremacists then. So so the elves in general are supremacists. They they consider themselves above all other races. They see cause, because they live longer. They're they're smarter. They're faster. They're more agile. Whatever. So they consider themselves above all other species, and the dread elves in particular. I think they they kind of it's their kind of. They're, they're the Malfoys of the Supreme. Yeah, they're kind of, of the it's, it's their kind of culture to dominate other species, right? Don't you just see, don't you just see them as like what's Draco Malfoy's dad again? <laughs> yeah. Lucius. Lucius. Don't you see them as just a bunch of Lucius Malfoys walking around, just be like, yeah, yeah just stupid humans. They all have like long haired backs. It's a bunch of muggles. Yeah, they're walking around with their like pimp canes and their black cloaks, just like muggle, yeah. muggle, muggle. <laughs> You know, I think, uh, I mean, that makes it, that kind of like, that kind of nails it for me all of a sudden. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Just a bunch of Lucius. So ho- hopefully that, hopefully that kind of puts things into context as regards to taming other beasts and, and being a hunter or a slaver. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I guess uh, on a broad perspective, then, uh, would you say that the Dreadouts are like these, the, the people who take that kind of supremacy, like, Actively, in the sense that subjugate people, and maybe the high highborn elves are more passive, in the sense that they, they believe the same things, but they don't really enforce it in that way. Mm. I think I think the highborn elves are more sinister than you might think. Um, oh, that's, that's interesting. But I when you when you say like, do the dread elves pursue supremacy? I don't I don't think they do. But I think it's more pragmatic. I think they slavery is a part of their economy. Oops. And um, I think it's more of a case of like they think like okay, well, humans and other races are just there. It's like a resource to be conquered or captured or um, taken advantage of. And and if they can, then they will. Whereas the highborn elves, their economy. Is more based around trade, rather and like like a colonialism rather than slaving. Okay. So you, you said something about magic. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, so like one thing I wanted to know about was because uh, we haven't touched upon we talked about the religious uh, aspect, but how does like magic and magic users come into society and is it uh, tied to religion in any way? Yeah, um, magic in the dreadout society is very much tied to religion. So the the schools of magic in the in the Dathan Republic are, are based around the temple. So. If you want to become a magic user in the the Dread Elves society, then you, you usually will go through the temple to become a magic user. Like if if you show any promise in in the magical arts, then either you'll be picked up by the temple or you will go to the temple of your own accord and say, "Look, I I have some kind of aptitude here. Like teach me." And then you'll get trained in the temple as a magic user. So the, the other side of the coin, let's say, to become a magic user in the Dreadhub society is that there were a lot of mages during the during the 
the strife between the Arandai Empire and the Selection Empire or the Selection Colonies. <clears throat> During this split, there was a number of wizards who didn't didn't want to join the Empire and were kind of like outcast by the Empire because of their their practices were a bit um, <laughs> unorthodox, let's say. Okay. So they, they were kind of outcast by the, the Aranda Empire at, at the same time as, as this kind of civil strife was going on. And so they, they fled to Selexia to avoid persecution. And when they arrived in Selexia, this, this uh, cadre of mages, let's say, was, was also shunned because of their kind of unorthodox practices. So they kind of went to the outskirts of society, but continued their studies in, in the magical arts. And, and these kind of, these became the, the warlocks. So the warlocks in the Dreadop Society are these, these um, elves who are very powerful magic users, but they're, they're shunned by society. And they, they obviously practice these arts, which are a little bit, a little bit forbidden when it comes to, let's say, like orthodox elven magic or religion or whatever. So they're a little bit kind of, it's it's not quite so cool to be a warlock in in Dreadop society. People kind of look a bit like, oh, these guys are not so trustworthy. Then they can't. They're a bit like necromancers or something like that. In a cave, basically. Yeah. So so they're they're very much outcast. They're very. Um, like secluded and so the the other side of the the coin in in regards to the dread elf magic users are these warlocks so the the dread elf state they they kind of they acknowledge that the warlocks are very powerful and useful on the battlefield so they employ them as mercenaries but otherwise they're shunned by society because of their mal practice hmm. And the, the kind of the the third type of magic user in the Dread Elf Society is somewhere in between the two, the Warlock and the Temple. You have these Warlock Acolytes, which are Temple agents that are sent to kind of spy on the Warlocks, but the Warlocks use them as as uh, like workhorses, so that they kind of do tasks for the Warlocks. So they're, they're somewhat double agents, somewhat learning from the warlocks there's like a very a very much of a, like a, a nuanced relationship between the acolytes and the warlocks and the acolytes and the temple they're kind of double agents working both sides spying on the warlocks to make sure that they're not becoming too powerful but also gaining power themselves while feeding information back to the state interesting so so one thing i, I don't know if that it's a uh saying too much about the rules but kind of the warlocks are really the most powerful casters or mag magicians or uh, wizards in the society yeah. uh, but then the the, the uh, temple legates they i mean they're also magic users but they're not as proficient is this uh, because there's some kind of ban on pursuing magic too far or like uh, is there a reason why these people aren't like uh, masters of magic um, I think it. I think it's a mixture of things. Um, you could you could say that the, the the temple itself doesn't have the proficiency that maybe the colleges of Aldan have. Mm. They don't have that kind of mastery of, of magic, so it's it's a little bit more difficult to 
get that proficiency that that maybe the highborn elves have in the institutions. Yep. Whereas the warlocks are allowed to freely pursue the arts without any without any distractions, without any any kind of orthodox um, hindrance to the to what they can do. So that they can freely explore the veil and they can freely explore their their chosen path and and become a master in that kind of respect. Whereas the the guys in the temple, they're they're doctrinated and they're learning from their peers, which uh, have only achieved mediocrity compared to the warlocks. I think it's. I mean, uh, obviously, you know the you know the 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 background, uh, but when I hear the way that these two things are sort of separated, right? These two major um, characters that end up, you know, being in the game, right? Um, Like, the warlocks sound like, you know, wild magic, right? Yeah. Um, Or like, or like, or like, uh, you could think of them as like, you know, uh, like the Sith in the Star Wars universe. Just like... This is actually something that we talked about during the background. Like, free to go and just, like, dive deep into the darkest recesses of, of their... 100%. 100%. Like, you know, allow their creativity uh, in in sort of in sort of evilness or badness to kind of take over or emotion or, yeah. you yeah. know, like just let just let it let it themselves go in whatever direction the wind sort of blows. Whereas like the temple uh, users are restricted. It may not necessarily be like that the temple doesn't have the power uh, of magic, but it's more that it's the order, right? That 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 keeps it so so deeply and and or so difficult to sort of ascend, right? Because you don't have the freedom to explore those things that which you know which may come naturally to you because you're part of this very specific order that yeah. you can't deviate from, right? So you're 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 living in you're you're staying in your lane. Yeah. And by staying in your lane, you don't have the opportunity to grow by self-exploration mm-hmm. and, and become better. I think the the association of like the warlocks with the Sith is something that's really interesting and like quite relevant. That's definitely something that we discuss during the background talks and and during the design process. Is like these kind of like dark wizards that are going down this path, and their 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 rules reflect how wild and uncontrolled their magic is. So they're they're very powerful spellcasters, but the, yeah. there's also a downside to to their casting ability. Mm. Yeah, interesting. I think that is kind of interesting as a as a thing. But I don't understand this third character, the acolyte. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. Um, I don't understand. Uh, like, like the premises that they go, like. So the way that I hear you say it is like it's sort of like how the um, you know, in ancient Greece, like the oracles would get like slaves sent to them to like do their do their shit for them because they were too busy getting high and predicting the future. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's sort of like they're like so like the society is like we need you to predict the future or to do your dark warlocky ways, and as like as like a sign of acknowledgement, but also it's a way to keep our eye on you. We're sending you these servants, mm-hmm. right? 
So these are the acolytes or whatever. Yeah. So the acolytes are not dedicated to the warlocks. No. They're actually servants of the society. Yeah. Who are there to, I guess, like you said, keep tabs on them, but also glean some of their power. Exactly. Um, but but then I don't remember actually, do they actually have a character in the there's, game? There's a unit. So it's like a whole unit. Yeah. It's a unit of uh, fast cover or light troop cavalry. I'll drink. That has magic. The unit has magic. That can, yeah, they have an upgrade that where they can be a wizard adept. The unit yeah, can be a wizard. Yeah. The champion, yeah. Or the champion, okay. Yeah. So then, so you get, so you can boost their champion to have, actually, that's, so that's like the, is that the only champion in the game? No, no, has, there's many, many uh, units like this. That have the ability to have magic? That's. Yeah, there's like a, there's a rule called a Wizard Conclave. Uh, which uh, I believe, yeah, or at least yeah, exactly. Wizard conclave, which is essentially like a unit that can have a champion that becomes a wizard. So, it's, so you have like a whole unit being a wizard, basically. Yeah. So there's in I think in the end in probably every elf book there will be a unit that can do this. Yeah. What are some other examples in the game of uh, uh, Briar Maidens, Wraiths? Oh yeah, uh, Wraiths uh, and the vampires. Yeah, because all I think all three elf books have something, or maybe not. Uh, Hyper elves don't yet. Yeah, but maybe in the future then. Yeah. Because they need, yeah, they need more. Yeah. They obviously need more. I mean. Yeah, I think, not I think we, there's not enough. The highborn elves don't have enough yet. <laughs> they don't have enough. They don't have enough rules. Are you, are you, are you, are you, that, are you that salty about the high elves, Alex? They don't have. They don't have enough. They don't have enough. They don't have enough items. They don't have. They don't have spells. <laughs> They don't have yeah, it's like maybe they need more honors, you know? They don't have maybe enough special like rules. They don't have enough unit types. They don't, have, they don't have enough. They should get extra points. Don't you think, like, if you play, like, a like a 4,500-point game, the Highborn Elves should just get 5,000 points? Because, like, cause like, they just don't have enough. Like, they're so underpowered. It's just so, it's so, hard, it's so hard to play Highborn Elves. The last game you played against Highborn Elves, you won. Yeah, because Pete had that ridiculous group of lancers is rolling <laughs> around like lancers are cool and then he rode them into right into the very front of a feldrak block and they got eight yeah yeah i mean he, he, he could have not done that and he, then i would and then i would have lost fair, yeah. <laughs> so, so uh so what i want to ask uh, i think one of the the final questions i think is is how do um we know there's assassins in the uh, Dreadolf book. Like, how do they fit into this story? It's a great. Where in society did the assassins fit in? Okay. Yeah. So, exactly. so as we as we kind of alluded to before, um, the Dreadolf society, the Dreadolves or elves in general as well, see other species as inferior inferior races, inferior inferior species. So they, they look down on all species and they see it as their kind of, we could say, God-given right to, to hunt, to enslave, to dominate other races, other species, other nations. And the Dread Elves are kind of the top of this food chain when it comes to this kind of philosophy. So this, in, in the Dread Elf society, there's something called the Hunting Lodge, which is this society of hunters and in the society, you get things like the Black Cloaks, the the Shadow Warden, or what are they called now, the Shadow Riders, 
these kind of uh, fringe peoples who are perhaps nomadic, perhaps just out, well, not necessarily outcasts, but more kind of reclusive in society. The fringes. Yeah. And the assassins are part of this hunting lodge. So to employ an assassin, you, you will go to the hunting lodge and pay a price or some kind of favor or whatever and get the services of an assassin. And then the assassin will do your bidding for whatever price you pay. And the assassins themselves are very highly trained. They, they spend their, they are like employed by these hunting lodges to purely just to train to kill whatever mark they're given. And, and that's kind of their gig. Like they, it's, it's a little different to the Games Workshop background where it was part of the Temple of Cain. Um, yep. The assassins are very much part of the hunting lodge compared to the, the temples. But so here's the thing. Like, to me, like, because the Dread Elves are so, I would say they sound so fucking self-involved. Yeah, right? very, very much so. <laughs> right? Like, they don't, they're, they're not mingling with the Highborns. No, they're at war. Right? So they're not, and they don't, they don't give a shit about the Sylvans. No. And they're going and they're slaving humans and dwarves and... Everyone. And... and Saurians and, and yeah, rats and... Anyone they can get their hands on, right? Yeah. Um, so, to me, like, these assassins are really, like, would be a generally an internalized device for, for manipulation of power. Yeah. Right? Like, I wouldn't be... I wouldn't imagine that, the, that they hire assassins to go kill somebody in the kingdom of Equitain. Because, like, they don't give a fuck about those people, right? Like they're going to go with their, they're going to go with their raiding party and they're going to take a bunch of peasants and they're going to leave before the night's rally. Right. It was like kind of their attitude is like, why would we bring an assassin? We're just going to steal some people and go home. Right. Like, whereas it'd be more like, like uh, Jimbo over there from house, you know, douche Conan uh, is like, is like really, really is really like messing with my finances or like I owe him money from a poker game and I don't want to pay. So I'm just going to like hire an assassin for half the price I, I owe him and assassinate him. Right. Like, like that sounds like more like the dickish, you know, Lucius Malfoy type of characters that I'm coming to imagine these dark elves as being right. Is like, it's like ah fuck that guy. Like I'll just get him. I'll just get him whacked. Right. Like, yeah, like I think gangsters. I think you to an extent you're right. I think the assassins are definitely something that is like uh, happens internally between the different dreadhouse. But at the same time, um, I think you have to kind of be a bit more open minded with regards to how factions interact in the Night Age. There's a lot of colonies for overseas colonies. In, in the Ninth Age, I think that's something that has to be apparent for the factions to interact. So let's just say, for example, that the, the Equitain they do have a colony in in the in Berentia, which is in the, just the south of Selexia. It's called Fredericksburg or something like that. I can't remember. There's, there's like a, there's a port. We can have a check on the map. Fredericksburg. Maybe that's an Empire colony. It's definitely there on the map. 
Huh. Let's go. So where where was it? Uh, in Valencia. Yeah, it's there. It's there. It's but the Equitain one is just below. Yeah, Frederick's very good. And then I got. I don't know how to say that. Aguilí or something. Aguil. Anyway, yeah, maybe. there is an Equitain city there. So, so I think the, the implication in the Ninth Age is that there's lots of colonies everywhere, and everyone has a claim on each other's land just to bring the factions interaction with each other. So maybe, maybe this Equitain duke or whatever is like impeding on on the Dreadelves holdings in Selexia, and they they're gonna send an army out there to to kind of have a rough and tumble with them. While at the same time they're going to send an assassin to to deal with said duke and his bitches, <laughs> just to go right for him. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could also see like uh, in the case if they if the dreadels have an overseas colony in Vetia and like somebody you know they want to buy shit or slaves or whoever, and uh, somebody is like causing trouble, I guess they might just have that person assassinated. And again, so we're not going to talk about. Um, the actual game rules, but then that sort of alludes to the idea that assassins are character killers. Yeah. Right? Like, you really, that's that's what they're there for. So, I mean, you're talking about a, a book where you've got, like, a variety of interesting, powerful characters that can kill, char- that, that, that obviously would be character killy. Mm-hmm. They're but good then, at killing, but then because they're good at killing, right, Casper? Uh, but then also, you've got a very specific character killer type, right? Are you commenting on design or are you commenting on background? Well, I'm talking about uh, actually for this. It, it just, I guess I guess I'm kind of stammering along the line of both, right? It's like you've got a lot, like you have an entire society yeah. that are good at killing. Right, and then um, and then these ones are are highly specialized at killing, I guess, elite members of society, valued targets. Yeah, because it's sort of like it's sort of like the idea is that what you said at the beginning of the conversation is that everybody in everybody in the dread elf society that's a dread elf knows how to fight. Everyone knows how to fight. Yeah. So they're all good at fighting. They're all varying levels of good at fighting. And then the rich people, you said, they get like privately trained. So they're probably, those people are probably, or those elves are probably really, really good at fighting. Mm -hmm. So then to deal with somebody who's going to be a person in a position of power, who's been privately trained their whole life, you need to get somebody who's like... Even better trained. Even better trained. Yeah. And that's the assassins. So that's your... Yeah, but but then also societally, assassins don't tend to be like like high level members of society, right? right? You don't usually have like the you know if this is a republic, you don't have like it's not a, it's not some senator or some senator's no. kid that's an assassin. No, no. It's some as gutter, I said, as I said, it's like the gutter rat that they've it's like the out, not the outcast, but like the fringes of society. Yeah, so it's like some emo kid. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Right. <laughs> Yeah. They're like they're like you got you want to play with really cool knives. <laughs> yeah, he's come, like, come, yeah. to, come to our lodge. Get in my van with no windows. <laughs> come to my lodge. To lodge. Yeah, I have no comments on what happens in the lodge. <laughs> no idea what happens in there. Yeah, yeah. What's what's up with the lodge? 
Is there a lot of like uh, rhino bears in there? Or, uh... I think maybe on the wolves. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess what, one final question I just thought about was uh, like, what is the governing structure of the country or society? Like, are, I guess this is something I was thinking about in relation to more uh, factions in Knife Edge. Like, are there different countries, or are they more of a like? Is it is there like one country of Dread Elves that are like ruled by one thing? Or are there different ones? And also, what is that thing then? <laughs> okay, so lots of questions there. Yeah, I, um, basically all the questions. So the the Dreadel, the I'd say the what we're trying to represent in the rules is the Dreadel Republic, which is based around Rathen, which is in the north of Slexia. So this is a, a republic of many cities, of many people, of many elves, also overseas colonies. Excuse me. That um, that uh, uh, is based around a senate, so like a, a political elite, which uh, elect three consuls. We we'll call them consuls because I, I don't know what the like title is, but we can go with consul for now because I think that's familiar with what people understand. Yeah. Um, has three consuls, which I think they're elected for X amount of years, and then. Again, every every X amount of years they're re-elected. Maybe they're re-elected. Maybe it's new people. I, I I'm not sure how it works. So if you're not re-elected, do you think in this type of society you're dead? Potentially, I I don't know. That also mirrors Rome pretty well. I think. I think I think it I think it could depend on how how much you cling to power and there's obviously obviously as you say like similar to Rome it, it could it could mean many different things. Um, I just think like for a society of like aggressive warrior type people right who like who like fight fighting and raiding and slavery and power and wealth are all like the core pillars of their society the idea of like being selected to be a leader of that entire nation or 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 empire you know and then being not selected it would be like it's it would be sort of like i think it would be hard for somebody like that to step down do you know what I mean? To be like, oh yeah, yeah, no big deal. I served my term, right? Like I did my my four years or my eight years, and yeah. And you guys want to go a different direction? No big deal. Like I'll see you guys on the raiding party, right? Later. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. You know uh, they're gonna I, be like, uh, I own I, this place. I'm gonna, I'll kill you all. Right? I, like, I don't know how it works in that respect, but that's the, the outline of the system is that there's three consoles. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not. I'm just saying, yeah. like the psychology. To me, the psychology yeah. of the it make, it makes society. Sense. It makes sense what you're saying. The way that it's been de- been presented to me, it, this makes the most sense, yeah. right? Is it like somebody who, if, if everything is about, uh, you know, shows of force, strength, if, wealth, if you've been, su- if you've been successful, power. then you would assume that you would continue to be in power, right? It's yeah. a bit like an alpha male kind of thing, right? Yeah. So if, if you're if you're no longer the alpha male, like what are you? You're probably dead, right? But I mean, that's, in, that's in the, the depressing way of living your life. <laughs> it's the Game of Thrones. <laughs> what, yeah. What's the saying? Is, in the, the Game of Thrones, you win or you, you die. die. Yeah. <laughs> True. So I hope that answers your question, Casimir. Yeah. Uh, so I, uh, another one sprang to mind. So for a long time in the Night Age, we had this wonderful name for units called the Dread Judges. Yeah. And uh, luckily, uh, they they got changed to judicators. Okay. But uh, I think they, I I would just like to know like what how do 
what do the judicators do in the in society? Just like because it, you know, are they actually still judges? Mm, For yes. the panel? Yes, Dread no. judges, you might say. So the judicators are something like um, a military police force. They um, they're part of the Temple of Nab, and they they basically they meet out the justice of the temple. So okay. if you, so is that like religious law or? Yeah, yeah, maybe. I, I think the as a, I think it's both religious and secular. So as I said, I'm not hundred percent familiar with the background. But they, I'm pretty sure what, what the idea behind this unit is that they, they're like the military police. So if there's any kind of disturbances or secular problems, the, these are kind of like the disciples of NAB that, that take care of the internal struggles within the, the Republic. And in times of war, they can also be called upon to, to serve in the military. So but you also define them as uh, the... The 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 types. I I keep trying to say the people, but they're elves, so I don't yeah. know. Maybe you want to say people, but they are the group which you. I think you you initially define them as the group which like basically doles out the justice of the temple. Yeah. And what I'm curious about is, um, like how much that makes that tells me something very interesting about the society or or it's kind of schizophrenic about the about the background which is that um you know we talk about how the how the empire is ruled uh in this sort of uh almost republic style with three major consuls who you know run the sort of run things but then there's also this these temples which make their own rules separately do they answer who do they do the temples answer to the consuls do the consuls answer to okay, the temples so, so I, th I think um i think the temple like as i said like the 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 cult of nab like nab is this kind of let's call it war crow is like the so is the, like the personification of nab and um the, this this particular god is kind of the legal the legal judicator of the the elven pantheon, so is also like the lawgiver. So these judges are kind of personified as like the the like the law of the dread of society. Mm. So I think a lot of the a lot of the legal disputes and the confrontation in like policing comes from this temple. Whereas let's like I think you I think I think when we when we think as humans as like a law, we think of like the government as like the lawgivers because that's how it is in our society. Mm. But in the dread of society, I think the the law comes from this temple of Nab, which are, which is more kind of the have the court and they have everything within the temple. So the actual law and the legal issues are, are based within the temple, which so makes it's like it, a bureaucratic type of system yeah exactly and and these these let's call them executioners uh, <laughs> are the are the actual police force that enact the laws of nab they're both judge the jury and executioner oh right. wow that's right. so, so the what's uh yeah so they are like totally uh still judge dreads uh, yeah 100 uh, but um <laughs> 
<laughs> but like, uh, I guess the thing, like to me, the reason why this is sort of schizophrenic, right, is because, like, if the law is run by a religious sect, and the government is run by a uh, like non-religious electoral or electorate or electorate elected group, yeah. then the law can come for the government uh, whenever it wants, right? So I'm a consul, I ru I'm running the empire, yeah. and then like the temple can send its judicators to try to like put to like to like roll their justice over me. Yeah, and that's that's where the obsidian guard come in. Yeah, because like I ain't gonna let that shit happen. Yeah. So if, that's, I'm, that's, if I'm a that's console, why the right? obsidian guard are uh, guarding the the Senate and the and the Tower of Decos. So the the obsidian guard are these kind of elite soldiers that come from the academy. So they are the deterrent yeah. for the judicators to bugger off. Yeah. So there's a balance of power. Okay. But that always, that can always, that sort of, that sort of thing leaves room for, you know, you know, people getting snatched in the night and that kind of shit. Oh yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah, I guess that's the, compared to, so one thing that was present in uh, in old games workshop uh, fluff was like this idea that everybody in dark of society like murdered each other all the time. And uh, I guess since this is kind of you know like like it's still using the same mold and this kind of stuff, so so does that occur in Dreadel society? Mm, I don't know. Maybe more than high elf society. Okay, so it might might be like a little bit less, like a, a little bit more lawless on the streets in a sense. Mm, I think I, I wouldn't want to be very definitive, but I think that as a as like if you put yourself in a position of a dread elf and you said this person has something that I want if I'm powerful enough I'm going to take it from them yeah whether, that, that, whether, that, whether that's like physically or politically that's they will do that yeah it's the kind of a some type of Darwinistic society rule of the strong yeah and if I'm yeah. not powerful enough I'm going to go cry to the temple and hopefully get the temple to lean on this person instead. Maybe, yeah. But then, as soon as the temple's back is turned, that this guy's is so good. That guy's just gonna like roll back over me and be like, "Oh, oh, you wanted that? Like, you wanted those seventeen <laughs> barrels of wine? Yeah. <laughs> well, they got them, but I'm gonna take it out your ass now, right? Because 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 the judicators are gone, right? Now I'm here to just I'm just gonna give you a lick, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna take my fucking rhino bears, <laughs> stampede all over your shit. I'm just gonna ride them through your estate now, you know. So, do you guys have any other questions about the dread elves or the society or anything like that? No, I, th I think we've uh, covered most of the bases. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's like I said, there's some. Elements that, to me, um, like it's tough. It's tough for me to to see balance, you know, in this society because there are so many things that are imbalanced, uh, and that 
Like, yeah, I think you were thinking about rules for us. No, no, I'm, I, I actually, it's, I was, I thought I, the reason I laughed is because it's like, it's like, it's like a metaphor for what I think about the rules too, in a sense. But I think that, um, I think that in, in and of itself, the way that this society is structured, it doesn't seem like there is a, it seems like it's a, a, a society that, that would be in constant strife or struggle. Um, which I, which I think is in, interesting because to me, then it, it what the, when I imagine a, a dread elf army, I imagine a dread elf army, not as being like a united army of dread elves, but as like a faction. So I would say like to, to hop on a game of Thrones reference, like a dread elf army would be like, what might be like that you see on the field in a game might be like the Lannisters, but it's not Westeros, you know, that's the kind of way I look at it. Like, it's not like the entire continent of man fighting against the fucking night King. It's like the Lannisters against the Tyrells. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I get it. Whereas like when I imagine like, the when I when I hear like the dwarves, uh, or you know, you know uh, the or Equitain or whatnot, it doesn't sound quite as splintered or factioned, um, which is um, you know which is fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I mean, I think it 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 certainly can play into um, like the actual tabletop quite easily um and it maybe allows players on a on a hobby on the hobby side to like to like talk about their faction right it's like i'm dread elves but i am this i'm this house right or this family or this yeah right yeah, yeah. because it's yeah, important because then it's it's sort of like it, it leaves room for this like creative flexibility you know to like help build your own little lore about your yeah about your army because because they're so splintered and you know that would to me that would make them diverse in you know in their not only in the types of makeups that might make up an army but how a player how different players might choose to make up their armies but also you know in the style and in the art and you know in the color and you know, like the color themes and stuff yeah. like that. At the I, I think one thing that we should maybe just touch on is, is like the divergence from like evil elves or masochistic elves or like sexy elves or like whatever the game's workshop <laughs> background is. Yeah, that's true. Sexy it's porn masochist elf? Like a super objectified women elf in this uh, army. Yeah, like it, it, it's... I, th I think something that that is different, or like the, I think the key the key thing to take away is that these are not necessarily like elves that are bent on. They're not evil. They're not. They're not like depraved, like masochist, crazy, berserker elves that maybe Gamers Workshop background alluded to. The, these are just regular elves, but that have maybe more. I think I think the the dreaded side of them comes out in in more of that about their 
personality because the they're kind of frontiersmen. They're hard. They're they're killers. They're they're very pragmatic. Well, I mean, so, I mean, so, come on. They so, also they also go around collecting slaves and stuff. So yeah, like, putting the word dread in front of yourself if you're a pirate is a pretty regular behavior. Yeah, right. So aside yeah. aside from their dreaded nature, they're not these kind of like sick twisted elves that that you found in Nagaroth. They're they're more like they're more similar to the Arandi cousins, let's say. So so I guess a good way to put it is that maybe they maybe their society is crueler to other people, but like when you're you know when you're at home in that Red Elf City, it's more like like what you would imagine a normal city be like, whereas in Games Workshop Fluff, a dread, like a dark elf city was uh, people murdering each other all the time. Yeah, and just like nightmare you on earth. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like you couldn't go outside at night because you would get killed and shit. Yeah, so something I can talk about is something that I actually flesh out in the background, which is the, the distinction between um, the different classes in Dread society. So obviously you have like a nobility, you have... Um, like a, a lower class, but you. And what's most important in the dread of society is actually if you're a citizen, if you're a foreigner, or if you're a slave. So the the three different distinctions in society give you different rights. So just as an example, like slaves have pretty much no rights. Slaves always have to have an owner. If they don't have an owner, let's say like the owner dies with no heir, then the slaves automatically get sent to the temple um if if you're a foreigner then you you can't own property in in Dathan. you can rent it but you can't own it um but you can own slaves um just like some random things that we that we're talking about um you if you're if you're a foreigner you you can't bear arms in in the in the republic or if you want to bear arms, you have to get a dispensation from the government that you can bear arms. And so, so there's quite a few distinctions between like a slave, a foreigner, and a citizen. And this is quite important in the society itself. Can you be granted citizenship if you're not born there? If you go to the academy, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's the that's the mechanic. But I mean, you'd also you'd also have to be an elf of some kind, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. You can't you can't be you can't become a citizen if you're not an elf. <laughs> you're not going to be like an infernal dwarf who suddenly becomes a citizen. And yeah. I, th- I think so. I think there's probably some very like exceedingly rare cases, maybe like one in the history or something like that. But I mean, and the other thing, maybe I was, an honorary citizen. Like to me, like the whole slaving society and stuff really makes me think that. These guys and the infernal dwarves would get along. Yeah, recently. I mean, um, a lot of the a lot of the slave trade goes through the infernal wasteland. So the the dread elves, the, as I said, they they there's two sides of their slave trade. One is bringing the slaves home, and the other is selling the slaves to other people. And the biggest buyer for the the, the dread elf slave trade is the infernal dwarves. That's the biggest buyer. They also sell to other minor nations, but the Infernal Dwarves are the biggest buyer. 
So, so one thing actually that we can uh, touch upon then is that is there any type of special antagonism between elves and dwarves in this universe? Or are they just, uh, you know, chums as much as um, anybody else? Yes and no. The, there, was, there was a point in which um, I think my ninth age ages is very hazy knowledge. But there was one age in which the beast or the orcs or the demons or someone was assailing the dwarven fortresses. No one really cares because they're dwarves, but someone Isn't was. Isn't it like someone of them were standing at the once? Yeah, I think. So, so someone was attacking them, and they they had an, an alliance with the elves, and the elves didn't come to the aid. Yeah, because they're fags. Well, the reason that the elves didn't come to the aid is because they were having a civil war at the time. Douchebags. Sure. So. <laughs> So this this is why the dwarves don't like the elves. Ah, okay, okay. And this is pre-splits between the infernal and uh, and uh, quote unquote normal dwarves. Say again. Uh, so this is uh, pre the split, pre the inferno, and everything like when there was still just. Uh, one. You ask you're asking me the wrong questions, Casimir. I don't know. <laughs> you need to brush up on your dwarf lore, man. Yeah, but no one cares. This is a, this is a podcast about dwarves now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, like when they finally release the Infernal Dwarf uh, army book, that's gonna be great. Like we're just gonna talk about dwarfs the whole episode again. That's gonna be good. Never again. <laughs> haven't we already done Infernal Dwarves? No, yeah, but not the, we, have, we haven't done the full army book yet. You, you, oh, have you listened? To, have you, you actually listened to the Warriors of the Dark Gods book that we reviewed that we did? <sighs> no, I don't. Know. I don't have the time. Yeah, <laughs> so long. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's too long. Um, there's too many. There's too many things. The infernal dwarves have too many things. That's for sure. <laughs> I agree. Doesn't make sense yeah. to have that many things. But uh, I, I think with that though, I, I think we've uh, covered like the kind of the the basic uh, at least. And then when you guys are done with the uh, the full army book, we'll come back and do like a little bit more detail on all the stories and characters that will be introduced. I guess. Yeah, for sure. I think hopefully if we get the background supplement in the next few weeks, then we will come back and do a, a full background supplement review, and hopefully touch on a little bit more of these topics in detail. Yeah. But otherwise, I think we'll call it there. Thanks very much, Casimir, for, for joining us. No problem. I hope fun. you're getting as drunk as we are. <laughs> yeah, actually, like I don't have any beer today because I was too lazy. Because you know, in Sweden, it's basically a dictatorship because you have to go to a fucking weird place to buy alcohol. So basically, I only had liquor. So so, sounds like living in, living in the Rathen Republic. Yeah, basically. I just I can't go out at night because you know it's it's, it's scary. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so I didn't have any beer. So I've just been drinking hard alcohol from the start. <laughs> well, I would say uh, if you're going to do any hobbying for the rest of the evening, good luck on those fine lines. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so, so what I'm doing is I'm actually varnishing my dwarf balls because they're all um, like metal. Uh, so, so I'm varnishing them so they won't chip. Uh, so basically, I'm just coating the whole mold in a clear liquid. Nice. Well, I guess I guess you can you can spill. Can be a bit messy. Yeah, it can be a bit yeah, messy on that. Okay, so if you want to get in touch with us, please send us mail at amatimedk at gmail.com. If you send us some mail, we will read it out. Uh, if you have any questions about the Dread Elves book, 
You can also send it to us via mail, or you can send me a PM on the forum at Henry P. Miller. Yeah, yeah, you can also get in touch to us uh, on the Twitter, which is at uh, AmmerTimeDK. And uh, don't forget to like and subscribe for here, uh, wherever it is that you're listening to AmmerTime Podcast, whether that's on YouTube, SoundCloud, or I don't know, your mom's radio. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks, for, thanks for listening. How can I say that? That'll do, that'll oh do. My God. I'll, cu- I'll cut it at your mum's radio. Okay, <laughs> that was good. I, I really... I-